2: The Starbucks Pistachio Latte will transport you to your happy place. The comforting flavor of pistachio, warm espresso and milk, all with a brown buttery topping, makes today a good day. Order ahead on the Starbucks app.
1: One, two, three, four.
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content. Or download the official Diddy TV app from your App Store today. Hey folks, welcome to Insights, where our guests this hour are Paige Burkham and Jack Torrey, aka the Cactus Blossoms, easily one of the most listenable bands that we've had the pleasure of discovering in recent years. Today, Paige and Jack chat with Amy Wright about the making of their upcoming studio album, One Day, which is set to release on February 11th via their own label, Walkie Talkie Records. They also talk about their early years and formation as a band, what it was like to be featured on the hit TV show, David Lynch's Twin Peaks, and a whole lot more. We're honored to have them on the show today, and we think you're really going to enjoy getting to hear their story. So stay tuned, and thanks again for joining us on Insights.
1: Thanks for popping in and talking to us today. Um, We're excited to talk about the new album, One Day, that you're going to be releasing here relatively soon. And we wanted to go back in time a little bit and talk a little bit about how you guys got started, you know, what it was like growing up in Minneapolis and a few things like that. But, um, so what was it like growing up in Minneapolis, except for the cold? Was there, was there a cool music scene there?
3: Yeah, I mean, growing up in Minneapolis, I guess uh, I was, we weren't super involved in the, the music world here. Um, but then as we as we got older and, and got more into music and started playing and we started going to shows and bars a lot, probably in the early 2000s, right?
4: Yeah, we in kind of... In 2000s. It, I don't know how it happened, but we kind of met these people who are almost doing like this revival of the 60s <laughs> folk scene in a funny way here. Like uh, just, and by that, I mean, like they were just learning kind of, we'd meet like a fiddle player and then some singer songwriter playing acoustic guitar. And, and we kind of didn't know how everyone was, how we were all into this music, but, um, uh, just kind of met all these other folkies and started playing shows around town and then learned about some of the older guys who'd been around in the scene for a long time. And yeah, found out it was actually a pretty, pretty rich scene here for, and that's just the, you know, the folk side of things, but of course there's like everyone from Prince and Who's Screw Do and Replacements and all these other local bands.
1: Jayhawks.
4: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Soul They're Asylum, I think is yeah. from
1: there and uh, big yeah. Replacements fans. We've had Tommy Sensen through here and uh, yeah. I, I was actually surprised, but Minneapolis has a there are a lot of bands that have come from Minneapolis area.
4: Yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, our first fiddle player used to play sometimes with the guys from the Jayhawks and you know, there's it's a small world, so. Yeah.
1: So did you grow up playing guitar and did you play together as kids or were you, did you get along as kids?
3: <laughs> we got along all right. Um, we didn't really start, I mean, I, I played a little bass when I was young and Paige played drums. Um, we weren't too serious. No, it was yeah. just something to do you know, past the time, practically pre-internet days, you know, um, but then I didn't start playing guitar and singing till I was 18. And Paige is a little older than me and he started playing a little while after. So we're kind of late bloomers.
1: Or were you playing sports when you were younger or?
4: <laughs> I, I didn't play any sports, no.
1: Well, I didn't either, so. Okay. <laughs>
4: what were we doing i don't know we were i was
1: i was gonna say what were you doing
3: (laughs) please don't quiz me on the on the rules of any sports right now
1: (laughs) well so you started playing guitar at 18 and um then did you guys soon thereafter sort of figure out hey this we kind of sound good together your harmonies are what you're known for obviously besides your guitar playing which is amazing and your songwriting but um, you have these really beautiful harmonies that almost only come from being brothers
3: that was something that kind of happened accidentally um i was playing songs and and trying to write a little bit and um you know it was all super super informal just for fun and do it around a campfire with friends and after a while we started singing some songs together around campfires and our friends started to say hey you know what like, no offense, Jack, but you guys should try doing that together and, and play out a little bit. So that's kind of how we got started, got pushed into it.
4: Yeah. They'd drag us up on stage to play like two songs during one of their shows or something. And yeah, kind of got the bug that way.
1: So um, when you first kind of started playing live, did you feel um, stressed about putting your music out there? as opposed to say a cover where, you know, people are going to like a cover, right? But now you've got to write a song and you got to see what people's reaction is to yeah, that. Yeah, well, we,
3: we kind of, um, we merged the two. We were playing lots of old songs that nobody knew. You know, we, we weren't playing country classics, maybe a few Hank Williams yeah. songs that people knew, but we were playing lots of obscure songs and we just sneak our own into the mix and not tell anyone. And, If they were singing along (laughs) and they'd never heard it before, that seemed like a good sign.
1: So where did your love for all the old tunes come from?
3: I mean, I think part of it was just um, being unfamiliar with it in some ways. Um, I remember hearing Hank Williams stuff and thinking, this is country music. I had no idea that this was country music. It sounded like an alien music form compared to what I thought of as country music when I was 14. Um, So there's like a part of it that was kind of just exploration into a strange unknown world and then also just easy access because you could get everything from the library or, or go to the thrift store and just find records for cheap and kind of Get into it that way
4: that's yeah i mean i think we were just blown away by some of the stuff that we had never heard like some of that folk music i mentioned like hearing woody guthrie or lead belly or like all these you know all these artists who they are well known to music lovers but um there's still a lot of people who don't really know that music or haven't heard it and uh it's really good so it was like a secret world of all this music that you know you could get you know multiple albums of these great artists and we got kind of sucked into it
1: so when did you become the cactus blossoms
4: uh, i think
3: the first time we went by that i think at first we did a few things as jack and page and that seemed a little uh too simple
4: <laughs> i think it was uh, 2010 or yeah, I mean, it's, I think we had played that prayer Hymn companion thing. Basically, it was we had we had these kind of crazy uh, invitations that had popped up where we're suddenly getting the chance to play a couple shows like we, we opened for Marty Stewart, for instance, <laughs> and people like that, that we were really intimidated to get to play for. And it was one of our first shows. We were pretty scared yeah. opening for Marty Stewart. So we had to have yeah. a name, you know, so we, that's when we started going as that.
1: <laughs> so you're just sitting around one day and you came up with the name and <laughs> that was that? Know, yeah, <laughs> I would be afraid to play as an opener for Marty Stewart. That's pretty intimidating. Yeah.
3: Oh yeah, but we got asked the day of the show, so we had about thirty minutes to think about it, and we were on stage. Probably best later. So yeah. yeah, it was. We didn't have too much time to get in our heads about it.
1: Yeah, but that's a pretty good one to, Words to, to get practice started. We're for you. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> Yeah. yeah. I mean, otherwise, you might have practiced out too out much. You know what I'm saying? You, you know, when you go in without thinking about it, you probably did better.
4: Yeah, it was raw. Hopefully, it was raw. I'm sure he got a kick out of it and could see how green we were, but that's okay.
1: So you guys spent some time in Minneapolis building a fan base uh, before you put out your first, I would say, kind of debut album, right? That didn't come till 2016 or somewhere around there? That you yeah, were- we,
3: we, we'd done a couple things on our own, but that was kind of our first big project that we put time into, and we signed to Red House Records in 2015, and so that was our first like national release.
1: What was it like to get signed?
3: It was uh, a little nerve wracking, you know, those contracts are
4: <laughs>
3: give you something to think about. Um, they were a really cool label. They actually ended up selling to another label about a year later after we signed and we ended up going on our own after that. So. It was a pretty short period of time for us, but it was very cool to have that help.
1: And that first album was, let's see, it's You're Dreaming. And was it J.D. McPherson that was the uh, Mm -hmm. producer of that album? And how did you guys get to know J.D.?
3: That was another one of those uh, surprise invitations. He was playing in town at First Avenue and we got the call to open for him. And we begrudgingly said yes, <laughs> we nervously said yes. We were super excited, but so we met him there and gave him a couple CDs. And he talked to us a few months later about working on a record.
1: So what, in your first album, what did someone like JD bring to the, uh, to the table in the studio?
3: A lot, um, <laughs> he, he connected us with a lot of musicians in Chicago that he'd worked with. And they're folks that we've worked with ever since on different projects, including the new album. So that was a huge thing. And, you know, he just kind of helped us dial in what we were doing and make decisions. And
4: yeah, well, he knew how to make a really great sounding record and also understood what we were trying to do our the music we were into and, and, uh, actually liked our songs and, you know, to to have somebody who can, um, you know, bring an expertise and actually really does appreciate what we did, like was really, really valuable. So, and uh, you know, it kind of felt like uh, at that time we realized it was like, not, and not that we've achieved some great fame or something, but it was almost like people were helping up helping us up each little rung of the ladder. You know, like, oh JD's coming along, he's gonna get us up to the next rung by just helping, you know, helping us make a good record and hooking us up with the right people. So it was exciting.
1: So after you put out your first album, everything took off and or did it. <laughs>
3: We took off on the road. we yeah. took off on the road, and it was a pretty intense year of touring. Um, yeah things things just kind of kept happening though. I mean, looking back at twenty sixteen after after how slow the last couple of years have been, it was like, wow, that year was insane we We put out a record and then ended up touring with we just kept getting calls that we couldn't say no to. And uh, we ended up doing shows with Lucius and Casey Musgraves for a a few shows. And, you know, just wild. Felt like we got thrown into the deep end of the pool for sure.
1: Well, and then you got a call from David Lynch.
3: Yeah. And he asked you to be
1: on Twin Peaks. What was that like?
3: That was a secret we had to keep for all of 2016, because <laughs> we—I would
1: have a hard it. time keeping that secret. <laughs> it,
3: it was a tough one to keep, um, but it was pretty exciting to know that that might be happening. We shot that with them. I think it was in March of 2016 or something, and you know, we didn't know if we'd be on the show or not. But we were told not to tell anybody about it, or or that we'd be involved, and but we knew. We knew, so they gave us a little steam that yeah. year, for sure.
1: Did you write a song specifically for the show, or what? Did they choose one of the songs you'd already written off your first album?
3: Yeah, they took one off of your dreaming called Mississippi. Yep.
1: So, how did David Lynch find out about you guys?
4: I I don't know the whole story, right? I mean, well, I I think that his um, kind of musical director collaborator was aware of JD McPherson and, you know, maybe they learned about us that way or something like that. Um, so I knew they were fans of JD. Um, but I'm not really sure, you know, we were, we just kind of got the word through our manager that we had the chance to do that. And in a way you don't really want to ask too many questions when someone's saying, do you want to do this? You know, you're kind of like, yes, (laughs) (laughs) you don't want to bother them. So, yeah. No,
1: no questions, just yes. Yeah, right. Exactly. And then you yeah, toured. on I think too much, the they might
4: be like, oh, we thought you were somebody else actually. Uh.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just show up and make right. sure. That, right, exactly. <laughs> um, so you put out the first album, you're touring, and then when does the second album happen?
3: We uh, put that out in 2019, the beginning of 2019 and um toured a lot on it, and then we were hoping to do a little bit more touring in twenty twenty and it all got shut down, but we were super super thankful that we got a whole year of of touring and after putting out that record that was a big deal so yeah. so do
1: you like being on the road
3: it's It's got its fun parts and it's uh it's got its tough parts it's a lot of responsibility and a lot of time in a van that's for sure
4: yeah it's a little you know we run our own little operation and so it's it's a little there can be stressful times where you're not sure if your van is going to make it to the next place and if you're going to have to cancel the whole tour part way through or something like that and it feels like man how, how is this such a high stakes job when we you know like <laughs> we're just you know, how did we get involved in this thing that can be kind of stressful? You know, <laughs> when we got into it by just playing, you know, taking up our friends on offers to play around our town, and suddenly we've got this van we're praying makes it to the next place in Montana or something. So, but it always does, it has always so. worked out so far. So,
1: yeah. I've thought about that sometimes because you can't help when there's a traffic jam or something like that. You're going across country, I would imagine you try to keep the number of hours between shows to a certain yeah. minimum.
3: You, you got to be flexible. Yeah. You got to be flexible and open to change when you're uh, a touring band. Um, and you have to be comfortable with really hairy situations like maybe getting towed 250 miles with a van and trying to sleep in the tow truck cab. But, yeah. You know, all sorts of things happen out there.
1: Do you feel like you can write and be creative when you're touring or does that only happen when you get off the road?
3: You know, sometimes it's just too crazy, too crazy out there to
4: focus. You're lucky if you can sleep seven hours a night. So, Yeah, I think if we had someone driving a big bus that we were just hanging out in the back, you know, uh, it might be a little different. Maybe you could find that time more, but we're usually the ones uh, filling up the gas tank as we go, so.
1: (laughs) We actually have the Diddy Mobile here and we take it on the road. And I know exactly what you're talking about. No one's driving our van for us. We're driving it ourselves. Yep, yep. And all that comes with the van, right?
4: Yep, all the joys. All the
1: joys, all the
4: joys. You know, sometimes it's a more fun and easier job than any other job, too, where, you know, there aren't a lot of other jobs that you, sometimes you drive a couple hours and you get to some great festival and you're hanging out with friends suddenly and, you know, having a beer and it's like, how is this our job? This is great. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah.
1: So in twenty in 2020, you guys were about to put out a live album or you were, it was in your head that you were going to do that. And COVID happened. And what was that experience like when everything sort of shut down and you couldn't tour and, you know, the whole world's obviously going through something that's kind of crazy. But what was it like for you guys?
3: I I bet it was similar to a lot of people, you know, where you you got home with your groceries and you started spraying them with bleach or something. You're like, this is insane. <laughs> like what happened in, in three weeks? Um, it was a, you know, I think it was just such a crazy time that we didn't even have time to think about it. Like, personally, it was such a, a big picture problem that was affecting everyone. Um, and especially people in the music world and restaurant bar world you know i realizing that 80 percent of the people i know have weird jobs that ended when the pandemic started was pretty intense so just kind of took a break from plans for a
2: while
4: yeah we i mean we were disappointed to have to cancel some touring right right when it happened um But uh, honestly, it was kind of a needed break, too. Mm -hmm. So for a while, (laughs) I was happy to have a break. But now we're kind of ready to uh, get back into it.
1: Yeah, I'm right there with you. I I think I'm going to find out 15 years from now that I've got some kind of chemical poisoning from all the sprays that I used during COVID. right. You know, if I didn't die of COVID, it's gonna be some other problem I that I got. I know. <laughs> but, um, but so, so you you guys were in Minneapolis when the, uh, George Floyd happened, and that was during that time period too. What was it like to be in Minneapolis and experience that in a way that a lot of us couldn't experience that because we weren't there?
3: Yeah, it was. It was really sad and horrible. Um, and intense i mean the the initial event and the killing of george floyd was its own horrible tragedy and then what happened in our city afterwards was just chaos that was it was pretty intense after after being in the pandemic and everyone was kind of already stir crazy and then to have everything kind of explode like that i mean going down to the the george floyd square was like the first time i was around a group of people in 2020 yeah
4: well and then and there was some a lot of like legitimate coming together of our community and peacefully protesting and then there were outside groups and kind of this kind of craziness where you you know, it was enough of a nationally known thing that it kind of brings out all sorts of people who just want to be a part of a chaotic event, I guess, you know, they've been looking for their opportunity to like uh, pack up and drive to Minnesota, I guess. um, Yeah. To stand on the street with a gun or something. So, you know, it was kind of, it was kind of freaky. You kind of had a uh, it went from like a weird pandemic thing to a scary like literally streets are looking like a war zone in our city, so you know, but it also was beautiful it was so beautiful to see
3: people come together and especially after all the isolation to be in a a crowd of thousands of people peacefully walking through downtown Minneapolis was very uh good feeling
1: yeah i you know from the standpoint of not being there but being in another city in memphis we had a number of protests as well and where our studio is we actually back up to the civil rights museum so we were right where a lot of the uh, marches were Um, fortunately not violent marches they were all very peaceful Um, but what struck me was something similar to what you're saying which is there's a pandemic, but people are coming together for a cause because it would have been very easy for people to say, Hey, there's a pandemic going on. We can't do anything about this, but they rose to the occasion and did so anyway, in the middle of something that was really going on that was tough for everybody.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And people were a little, you know, nervous about being in large groups, even outside at the time. So there was a lot of I don't know. It was it was hard to know what to do. Wear your mask outside, and yeah, you know, it was hope, a pretty hope it works out. It was a pretty <laughs> easy decision to make, though.
3: Like risk uh, risk getting sick outside, or or support people who need support right now, and and you know, get your voice out there.
1: Exactly. Well, so you guys, when did you start writing the songs for? One day, and I, I want to go back just real quickly. Um, my husband Ronnie and I saw you guys in St. Louis, and it's been oh, at before. yeah, and yeah. uh, I think we we talked for just a couple minutes, yeah. But after we saw you guys, we um, you inspired us to buy the national guitar, the Avalon, awesome. And so we actually own one now, but it's because we saw. We play wow, cool. in St. Louis, and we went out and got one of those guitars. We play ourselves. Yeah, you celebrate. got
4: you got a little electric.
1: Yeah, yeah. Cool.
4: How's it treated you so far?
1: It's treated us great so far. <laughs> we love it. Yeah. And uh, I was wondering if that that uh, guitar made it on the new album, or are you on the new gear?
3: <laughs> I I didn't play much electric guitar on this record. Actually, uh, we played a lot of acoustic together.
4: Um, So it didn't make it onto this one, but
3: it it was on easy way quite a bit.
4: Yeah. Our older brother played most of the guitar on the new record. And, um, you know, sometimes after recording, Jack will learn some of the parts that he's played or whatever. And a couple years later, three different people have played it. But yeah, we're working it out.
1: (laughs) So did you. Were you writing all during the pandemic and then you eventually got to putting out the album or how did that work from a collaboration standpoint when everyone's sort of in their own corners?
3: Yeah. Well, we, we had started, um, finishing songs in the beginning of 2020 and then kind of took a break cause we didn't even get to hang out and play music together. We were trying to be safe. So we didn't, hang out in a room together for a couple months at Mm -hmm, least mm -hmm. um so that put a pause on everything and then as the year went on we just started finishing stuff and making a plan of of how to safely get together and record with you know we got our friend up from chicago alex hall to engineer instead of trying to get everyone down to chicago and figure out how to stay places and so it just took some time and And watching the COVID numbers go up and down is like, oh, we missed, I think we might have missed our window here. (laughs) Well, (laughs) let's do it anyway. So it took a while, but uh, we finally got together last winter and started recording.
1: Did you record the songs live in the studio or were they tracked?
3: We did a lot of uh, stripped down recording as a group, and then because of not wanting too many people in, in one room together. We did some overdubs too, but we tried to keep it pretty live. As live as we could. Yeah. Try to It's a hodgepodge.
4: Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, some of the songs are almost completely live and some of them, uh, you know, end up being different, but we pretty much always just record with, you know, drums and singing and playing together live, you know, um, we don't just start with like, a drum to a metronome. And, you know, it's not that that process It's definitely more of a live process. And then we just redo some elements if we want to No metronomes were used. Yeah, (laughs) making of this right, right.
1: So when you're writing, do you write a song? Do you write a song? And then everyone else just sort of chimes in on their parts? Or are you working and writing together?
3: Uh, we write separately and then come together and help each other finish songs if if that needs to happen and kind of figure out the arrangements yeah. roughly and then and then get musicians that are better than us to come in and throw their ideas in the ring and then work with them on what to do next. So it's it's pretty loose and organic.
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean. Sometimes I was actually thinking about that. There are some, some songs that I realized, you know, in the for the sake of even just time and getting stuff done, sometimes you look back and you're like, yeah, we kind of just played that song for them. And then they started playing that part with it. And we're like, cool, you know, and some sometimes you have to, uh, I think you kind of remember how much toiling you did over a certain song or something like that too. But some of them kind of were pretty, uh, Natural and just did them as they came out.
1: So, if is there any kind of theme to the messaging of this particular album?
3: Not no, no theme going into it, but I think coming out of it, there are some themes throughout the songs. Um, I don't know, I mean, some of them are just kind of coming clearer. Now, after it's done, but um, I don't know what they are, but they're there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was wondering if there was a common thread that was resulting from the experience that you had over COVID and all that turmoil. If anything uh, from that experience was reflected in your in this particular album, one day.
3: You know, there weren't any any uh, huge particular, like, inspirations for me that came out of the downtime and, and all that, but um, there, there is a, you know, there, maybe there is a little bit of a, like the song Hey Baby kind of came out of thinking about, you know, after not being on the road for, for a year or whatever, I started thinking about all the all the miles I've been on the highway, and how crazy it is, and um, so you know, I think it was a, a little bit of a—I don't want to say nostalgic, but a little bit of a contemplative look back on some experiences that that came out in some songs.
1: I know sometimes I see pictures of events I went to before the pandemic, and everyone's you know, crammed together and having a good time.
3: You mm-hmm. didn't even see it coming.
1: No, no. And uh, yeah. I want to get back to that because that's a lot of fun. And I'm yeah. hoping that we're all going to be able to be together more, you know, in yeah. 2022 than we were even last year.
4: Yeah, we all hope so. Yeah, it's I think some of us have forgotten how, <laughs> a little bit. you know, we got to got to get back into it.
1: No, that's very true, because now you think twice about it. We have to get back to where it's just second nature to go out and be with other people. Um, A couple more songs on the album. Uh, Everybody. Tell me about everybody. What is that about?
3: Everybody. Um, You know, I kind of wanted to. Have you ever heard this saying, like, everyone's just trying to do the best they can, you know? Even, even if it seems like they're messing up, it's like, they're trying to, they're doing the best they can, it's just not always great. Um, I was kind of putting that idea into a song and it turned into a, originally it was more of a one-sided take on, on kind of a rift in a, in a relationship or a friendship. And then I I, I was digging the song and we had started recording it, and I thought, man, this would be really cool back and forth, kind of duet thing to do with Jenny Lewis. I wonder if she'd be down to, to sing on us. And uh, she ended up saying yes, and it totally made the song work the way I hoped it would. So it's, it's now it's kind of a, a sweet, hopeful song.
1: It's beautiful. And uh, how about Ballad of the Unknown? What was the
3: unknown? That's a little bit of a mystery song. Um, um, I'm not I'd had the beginning of it um, in my head for a long time. For some reason, the city is a prairie that combs its hair and shaves its face. I just like the idea of. Of. Looking at, you know, kind of all these constructs that we're surrounded by and and remembering that this was all wild not long ago and it's just kind of the story of um someone that was left behind in the in the rat race of of existence these days I guess it's not a very happy song.
1: Well uh not every song has to be happy.
3: I hope not.
4: <laughs> yeah, or else a few, we're gonna...
1: a few happy songs mixed in with the sad ones. But <laughs>
4: yeah, yeah, our set list would be pretty short.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm a lover of the the sad song, but my husband, he I think he loves them more than I do, even. So, so yes. Um, yeah.
4: uh, I think we actually have a few more happy songs, in a way, in a certain way, on this record than we have before, though. Like a kind of, you know, a few more kind of outright hopeful songs you know and maybe that did kind of come out of this time in a way of just wanting to feel that you know
1: yeah i know sometimes i feel and maybe you guys have experienced the same thing that i feel like i have to be more positive than i would normally because i feel like i'm pulling people behind me Mm -hmm. pulling them forward even though that's my own perception i think but
4: well, we need people like yeah. you. That's good. Yeah, you, prob- <laughs> you probably are pulling some people. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, yeah. I'm pretty it, gets, good.
4: it gets dark when we all look at each other at the same time and we're all, <laughs> you know, we're all feeling the sense of doom. Yeah, that's, it's not good. You kind of need that, that person. To right. Well, yeah, for
1: better or for worse, I'm the eternal yeah. optimist. So well, I can, I can be on that side of things, but, uh, Listen, I love the album and love your music, and um, not kidding about getting you to Memphis. We'll have to get you down here and for introduce sure. you to some new fans. For and for yeah. those who don't know about the Cactus Blossoms, uh, your music is just beautiful. The harmonies are incredible. This new album is wonderful. Hopefully you get out and tour and see the world. And-
3: Fingers crossed, it's gonna happen uh, next month.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. We're doing it. <laughs> Well, you know, it was so great to have you guys uh, stop by and talk to us, and we wish you the best of luck.
4: We really appreciate it. Great talking to you. Good to see you again.
0: All righty, folks. We hope you enjoyed hearing from Paige Burkham and Jack Torrey, also known as the Cactus Blossoms. To learn more about the band and what they have in store for this year, including the release of their next studio album, One Day, on February 11th, visit thecactusblossoms.com. And remember, you can visit DiddyTV.com slash shows or download the free TV app to explore exclusive on-demand content, including plenty of Insights interviews. Some of our recent guests include Samantha Fish, the Whitmore Sisters, Jason Boland, and the Dead South. So check those out when you get a chance. And don't forget to share what you find with your friends and to let us know what you think by connecting with us on socials at DiddyTV. We look forward to hearing from you. Till then... Thanks again for joining us right here on Insights.
2: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football